0: Sent off today.
3: Hi, I'm Molly John Fast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds and a gay, so LGBTQ, I would assume, furry group. group of them, furries are people who dress up like animals. They got together and hacked the agencies that attack gender affirming care. (laughs) We have an interesting show today. NBC's John Allen talks Bidenomics and the dynamics of him taking responsibility for the economy. Then we'll talk to Heated's Emily Atkin about our changing climate and what can be done to help our climate crisis. But first, we have the host of Fastball, Matt Negrin. Welcome to Fast Politics. Fastballs, Matt Negrin. (laughs)
4: <laughs> and that's the take we're keeping because we're it makes no it. sense. It's the vast. <laughs> I am the host of Fastball.
3: So pretty exciting weeks. The Supreme Court lie. is ruining First our country. Lie. First lie
4: of the day. Pretty exciting week. It's <laughs> The Supreme Court is out. ruining our
3: country, number one. But they're
4: doing it with zeal. Yes. And I, I'm i sorry. Just, I don't, I'm not familiar with your canon but is are we still referring to the Supreme Court as like a legitimate institution?
3: We call them a not the best.
4: That's harsh. Yeah, that's, that'll get them. Yeah, that'll that's, make
3: the whole situation.
4: That's right. It really fights know. the um, uh, headline in the Onion, Supreme Court Rules, Supreme Court Rules, which is one of the best Onion headlines uh, ever. It's an eight to one decision. And I think like, like Clarence Thomas dissented, not because he didn't think it ruled, but just because he thought it was so obvious it ruled that they didn't need to have a case. <laughs> <laughs> and he objected I mean, to the notion of ruling on it.
3: I would like to mention something, which I feel like since we are the United States of amnesia, no one remembers anything from longer than three years ago, which is like the best part of the whole situation. But there was a time of
4: television, for sure, because we (laughs) don't need to we don't need to think about previously on. Yeah,
3: we forget that there was a time when Justice Thomas did not speak for
4: years. It's kind of like the weird bit you keep going, like you keep it going on for way too long. Like I really (laughs) committed to this bullshit and everyone's <laughs> like oh I'm the like one person's like oh my god like he's the brings brownies to work guy and like oh she's the like um, always has like a fun story about her weird vacation friends and Clarence yeah. is like I will just not talk for a day and like that'll be my thing and everyone's like we love that about <laughs> you we love how you just don't say anything fuck but once, no I can but, never
3: talk right and once he got those three Trumpy justices he was able to start talking again um, broke his
4: cell Broke his, silence so it's right weird, because like, in a way he's he's more monkish than all of us. In a way he's closer to zen than any one of us could dream to be. He's taken yeah. a vow of silence. He
3: can be zen because he does not have to fly commercial.
4: <laughs> uh, so, you know, imagine flying commercial and not saying and not being able to complain. I mean, that is right, real sure, a good that point. Is a challenge. But I,
3: I want to talk to you about Biden today. A reporter asked Biden, this is like my favorite, Biden up there, he says, we're not going to let this break us. And then the reporter calls out to him as he's leaving. Is this a rogue court?
4: Oh, great, because we're not able and to say that. And
3: Biden then Biden says, "This is not a normal court." Again, they-
4: this is not normal. <laughs> wow. So, but just to be clear, we have the resistance has extended its very clean tentacles to Joe Biden now, and he is part of the "This is not normal" crowd. Okay,
3: so I'm gonna fight with you for best. a minute.
4: I'm yes, going to fight with you here for a minute. Trade, so, let's trade barbs. Let's, let's have trade real, barbs. Let's, let's, let's have, have some hardball. Some Should we have some hardball? Let's play think, hardball. You know what? I think this brings us to our next segment, hardball, where we uh, talk about fastballs, curveballs, and hardballs. Let's, so Let's go so, first with the fastball.
3: So uh, well, here's my question for you. Biden said two days ago at a fundraiser, he said that he was a Catholic and he was not super comfortable with abortion. And I saw people quite mad about this on the Internet. And I wondered, I'm someone who grew up Jewish, atheist, communist, Ben Shahn drawings. I always thought that abortion oh, was I went totally fine. To oh,
4: I went to the same synagogue. I went to the Jewish, <laughs> atheist, communist synagogue.
3: Yeah. That's right. We didn't belong to a synagogue because that's very bourgeois. And we would never belong <laughs> to a synagogue because there would be other Jews there. But I do want to say, he said he wasn't comfortable. it. people were very mad at him for saying that. But part of me wondered... And again, I'm like, just thinking about this for a second. There are a lot of people who are not comfortable with abortion, right? But they still believe Roe v. Wade should be the law of the land. And that's what he said. I don't agree that Biden needs to be as progressive as I am. Like, I think part of why oh,
4: Biden second won, lie, second lie of the day. <laughs>
3: but, but I feel like part of why Biden won was because there were people who related to this guy who thought like, you know, this is a white Catholic guy like I'm a white Catholic guy.
4: I think there's no room for middle of the road garbage and there's good and bad. And if you say something that's not good, then it helps the bad people in some way so I'm, I'm kind of a binary uh extremist i think i get what you're saying that his comment was like not crazy but right at a time when like all the rights are being taken away i think it's probably good to have the people on the good side just try to like be very firm about what's right and what's wrong i don't know if it gives like the bad people ammunition then i'm against right right
3: but I just wonder, I mean, again, and I appreciate your take on this and I, yes,
4: yes, no, I listen. I,
3: I mean, the question is how do you win, right? I mean, that's what matters is winning,
4: right. i I and, had a conversation like a while ago after Roe was overturned with someone who was like, Everyone's so tired. And I was like, people aren't tired of like fighting. People are tired of losing. We have been thrown into a world in which like we're trying to win this game, but the other side isn't even playing in a game. They've like destroyed the board and burned the pieces. And we're still like trying to figure out like what's the best move. And like we're not even playing on like a real table anymore. There's no point in trying to play when we right. won. That is a very good point. And we
3: had just on this podcast just a, a little bit ago, we had uh, this Minnesota state Democratic chair. Minnesota has done things and and passed progressive legislation in a way that Republicans do shitty legislation in red states. So like they did school lunches and codified nice. Roe and protected trans people and like yeah. did all our wish list stuff. Like, yeah. By the way, this wishless stuff is like take care of people. I know it's like them. the most
4: basic thing. Right, it's like right. So funny that Keep that's children
3: from dying of starvation yeah. and poverty, <laughs> you know.
4: Yeah. Wow. You okay, I don't know. I think that might be we need to <laughs> hear hear the other side on that before we commit.
3: Address climate. Change. So because some
4: kids are just fucking right. like annoying. Right. Right. And
3: should they starve to death? I mean, so the question is: as Supreme Court Day, talking about the Supreme Court, we have a federal Democratic Party that's pretty scared of doing hard things,
4: so to speak. Do you remember the night that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, or it was announced that she died? Where were you? And like, who were you texting? And what were you like posting? Do you remember that?
3: All memes of her. Uh, no, I'm as just she kidding. as she would have as wanted. She would have yeah. wanted. Yes, Ruth I mean. Bader Ginsburg,
4: meeting <laughs> lord. <laughs> like, I remember seeing a tweet by I think it was Reza uh, Aslan who said like if they even think about replacing yes, then you too. will burn it all down. Right, it's right, like, right. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of that sentiment that like oh, are we ready for a real uh, like genuinely popular leftist, left leaning, whatever revolution where if the fascist right rushes a nomination in and makes the court truly illegitimate that we will do some sort of never before seen protest or action or concerted organized effort or whatever i remember being on a call that night with like a bunch of um like activists who are like okay here's the message like we're gonna support like the like uh what what were they saying it was something like really weak and i was like what about packing the court like isn't that the message now like shouldn't we push a month before the election and like there was this like tug of war over like what are we gonna do about this and then obviously they replaced her and uh we didn't burn it down and right. we were like well we have to win at the ballot box and like that right. that's uh that's what you're referring to I assume when you say the democratic state yeah. or whatever is like yeah not really willing to do strong things.
3: Yeah I mean the thing that I was sort of surprised by was just how here we find ourselves in this situation. The Supreme Court is radically remaking this country from the Dobbs decision last year to the Clean Water Act this year, where this clean water ruling, which didn't get that much attention, basically states that if these bodies of water are not, if you can't see that they're connected, then they're not connected. Right. So it limits clean water. And and again, I mean, that is such anti-science bullshit right if i can't see it then it's not happening like that is like the alito and that's how republicans are with climate change i mean i just got an alert on my phone that says you can't that it's over 100 air quality today so like but you and can't see
4: it in the air. You can't see I can, it.
3: I can taste it, you know. But so it, it is a fundamental issue of, like, obviously... It's, re- it's
4: reality-denying, right? It's, like, all the things right. that they've denied. It's science. It's the election. It's, like, all these things that are real. They deny. They deny reality. And if an institution is voting along reality and non-reality lines, and they're voting in favor of the non-reality, that seems to me that it's uh, definitionally illegitimate. So I think that needs to be kind of, like, accepted, that we should not any longer. I mean, really probably shouldn't have since the, the Bush Gore decision, but that's like a more uninteresting conversation to have. Shouldn't have right, referred right, to it right. as legitimate since then, but certainly not now. Like there is nothing legitimate about an institution that knows what is true and decides to, as you said, like deny everything because it's just like better for them. That's illegitimacy. Right, and right. the way that they were pushed in is also illegitimate. All of it's terrible.
3: Yes, yes, yes. Earlier times, Justice, when it was really the kennedy court you know or was the roberts court i mean it's really like the kavanaugh court now even though roberts is still the chief justice
4: yeah. it's the beach week court
3: it's the shark week court it's shark week court yeah yes it's always every week like
4: shark week it's, but this it's sweet, one sweet is baby. <laughs> it's ratings it's very <laughs> exciting and then but, you know coming up in the fall like there's going to be a ton of a ton of new decisions and shows coming out they are but, not on strike the supreme court uh, justice guild is really weak <laughs> they have not authorized the strike I'm Fortunately, we lost them. Yeah, it's too bad. That, SAG, DGA, and now the Supreme, the SCG.
3: But I think it is important, like during Reconstruction, we had Steve Vladek on this podcast. He talked about how during Reconstruction, the Congress told the Supreme Court to fuck off. And we have an, a Congress right now that could tell... The, I mean, not obviously not the GOP House, but, you know, the Senate Democrats control the Senate. They could tell the Supreme Court to fuck off right now. They could put together all kinds of restrictions. I mean, they could make their they could make Justice Alito's who's the, who's the life yeah, but a who's living hell. the out.
4: likeliest person to do this in the Senate? Like the most liberal. White man. House. Yeah, he's not
3: like, the most liberal, yeah, but he's my, the most obsessed most with active. the court.
4: He, he is the most obsessed with the court. Yeah. So, like, he's a he's been in the Senate for 20, 10
3: years billion years. Yeah. 10 or maybe billion longer than, years. OK, longer than 20 he's years. He's so, 8000 like, years old, but he's still quite cute. And we love him. And he comes on this podcast know. all the
4: time. Yeah, right. He is super cute. We don't just judge elected officials based on how they look. On their looks.
3: But, but we but, would. But, but he's on. Yeah. But.
4: We do sometimes.
3: <laughs> That's right. And he is, our, right. he's the AOC, he's middle-aged women's AOC.
4: He's middle-aged women's AOC. But he's also probably an institutionalist, right? So is that, the? are those the forces at play that would prevent him from taking it and lead it. I mean, at some point, right. I mean, that's, that's the like, question there, is, all alone. right.
3: Can you get a Durban White House together to bully everyone else to doing it? I mean, if they wanted to, the fact that they're institutionalists, I feel like could be theoretically helpful to getting them to deal with this institution. Right. Do you think that's a good point? I mean, I also look, hate
4: the term institutionalist in a time when I actually don't even believe anything is an institution. I don't even know why right. I use that phrase. It's like a really weird, like everyone is in it for themselves. There are no institutions. And
3: I think in Congress, in the House, that's true. And in the Senate, that's less true. Why? I think because in the House, people are just. Isn't Tommy Tuberville in the Senate? <laughs> well, no, there are, except Tommy Tuberville's the dumbest. He's the Louis Gohmert of the Senate. Like, I mean.
4: The fact that he can get in is like, okay, it's not an institution. Yeah, point. but it's like, Alabama, man. The- I mean. Marsha still Blackburn. Like, no, it's like if they're letting people like me on Raya, like it's not exclusive. So Tucker
3: Carlson, starting a media company, discuss.
4: That was not reported in the Lucky Clover Gazette, so I need to know more about this. I assume this is about Twitter, like he's on Twitter.
3: Puck reported that Elon Musk is go- – not Elon Musk, I'm sorry, that the Tucker Carlson – I don't know why I confuse the two. I don't know why I confuse
4: um, two fascists with each other. Yes,
3: that Tucker Carlson is starting a media company. It is uh, – he's going to raise a lot of money, he believes. Sure. And he's gonna make Ben Shapiro really pretty miserable, which I, I guess you were is. Say the, he's
4: gonna make Ben Shapiro his editor in chief. <laughs> I would believe that too. <laughs> but I think I think
3: the two of them will. I mean, the one good part of this whole sort of what's tale. The
4: what's the point of the media company? The to point is, or yeah. I mean, videos?
3: yeah. I mean, I think the that would is be. Is it the like point, Devin Nunes'
4: right? thing? Is it like a fake media <laughs> company or is it? Wait, what's
3: media? Devin Nunes' thing?
4: No, like Truth Social.
3: Yeah. I mean, I assume Truth true social, social is just media, some kind of money laundering thing, but right. That's what I wrong. mean. Like,
4: it's fake. But is Tucker yeah. Carlson's? Does it have more intention? Like, Truth Social is a thing that doesn't exist. Whereas it's like just for Trump to tweet on, and then we see screenshots of it. Is Tucker's thing <laughs> an actual uh, like media enterprise that will produce original content with different hosts, like and flip I would ass-
3: this I would assume sort of it's thing? basically the same thing.
4: It's awesome. It's awesome for us in the, in the world of people who watch crazy right wingers uh, professionally, we are losing people to watch. Okay. Like Tucker, when Tucker got fired, it's like, Oh my God, like great. Now there's less content to make. So this is great. I embrace this. I think there's like a lot of people out there, you know, the, the Aaron Rupars of the world, the Asen's, Brandon Murphy's, the Nikki McCann Ramirez's, all the, the media matters crowd. Uh this is our livelihood. Like we we need stuff to post. So I'm glad to see that Tucker is giving us the uh, kind of finally acknowledging our role but in the media I- world and giving us Things to watch not, again. Maybe he'll not, bring some new, fresh faces into the mix, like right. some uh, propagandists we haven't even heard of. Maybe that, um, like that Charlie Kirk uh, guy, will get. Like, oh yeah, uh, the best. He'll probably be on there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: but not to be too boring here. But I'm just curious. Like this right wing stuff tends to be really for an older group. I mean, how do you, you can't just? I mean, I guess you could start true? a cable network. Is
4: that still? Is that still true? I think the. I mean, the I Joe think the broken, Tucker uh, Carlson the Joe right. Rogan phenomenon, I don't want to say phenomenon, the Joe Rogan like era of like the, yes. the top rated is it even rated most popular Spotify playlist post whatever is a, a really unfortunate guy like someone who gives a voice to white men who feel like they're a victim has like Jordan Peterson and people like that so right. is that not a sign that whatever conservative means which at this point probably just means like Nothing before. Like, but it's just like reality denying. It's just like uh, the false victimhood, whatever. Does that not mean that that's more appealing now to younger people than, you know, 60 and up? Because Jordan Peterson is trying to reach young men and giving them a message that will be like hurtful to a lot of non-white men. And Joe Rogan is kind of doing the same thing. I think that message is working because they have millions and millions of listeners. And, but I just know that people listen to Joe Rogan and even, man, I, ugh, this is so hypocritical of me to do this, but like, I have a friend, uh, it's like a friend of a friend. And I, you know, I've i known her for a few years, like don't like keep up with her a lot, but we were catching up. And then I made a Joe Rogan joke. And she was like, oh, I really like him. And I was like, why? And she was like, it's just like interesting. Like he has people on from like both sides. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, does he really the, though? He really just, he does and he doesn't like he does so that he can say he does, but the damage you do by having like vaccine deniers and all that stuff is not undone or made fair by also having like a person on there who believes that, you, you know, uh, science is real. right, right, right. So there, it's a it's an unfair defense to say, yeah, I have like the demons who want to eat our skin, but I also have the people whose skin is being eaten. So it's not like it's not right. good that someone that I considered uh, intelligent and in my peer group was like, oh, I think it's really cool that he has like these people. So I just think there's more people like that than I knew like three or four years ago, because Joe Rogan's podcast is very popular. So I think back to what you were saying, that it's not just old people now, like Tucker speaks to that older generation of, I guess you could say racists, or just like Republicans. But there are younger people who want to hear their views affirmed. And I think Tucker is really good at doing that. So it probably will reach a younger crowd, especially if it's like, again, I get all my news from the Lucky Clover Gazette in Zelda, but especially (laughs) as Puck has reported, I assume it's going to be like lots of videos and like different uh, online and different hosts and things like that. Not just like Tucker's Fox show, like repeat, probably going to be more, right? I would assume it's going to be bigger.
3: I have no idea. Matt Negrin, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back.
4: Okay, but I will come back if you let me talk more about the ethical (laughs) issues in (laughs) The Legend of Zelda's uh, newspaper, flagship newspaper.
5: Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParodyFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.
1: Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.
6: addresses, and select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See Lisa.com for more details.
3: John Allen is a national political reporter at NBC and the author of Lucky, How Joe Biden Barely Won the Presidency. Welcome back to Fast Politics, your friend and mine, and really my friend, though I think we're gonna get into it today, Jonathan Allen.
7: I will try not to slow down Fast Politics too much, Molly.
3: (laughs) By the way, Fast Politics, I hope all of you are listening to this at 1.7 speed. It's the least you can do so that I sound like Minnie Mouse.
7: I mean, I'd say go too. Well, two.
3: <laughs> two
8: is like,
3: two is like, at some point you're like, is this English?
7: Are you trying to get in a fight with Ron DeSantis? <laughs> the mini mask? The
3: mini Before we were recording, we were talking about this. We are in this very strange run up to the 24 election where it looks like the 24 election is going to be the Exact same matchup as the 2020 election. Is there a historical precedent for this?
7: There is historical precedent for this, but it doesn't happen very often. Uh, you had consecutive elections, I believe, with Benjamin Harrison and Grover Cleveland. Oh, so my favorite. So yeah, <laughs> Cleveland was president, then Harrison beat Cleveland, and then Cleveland beat Harrison. So it, it has happened before, but it is it is unusual.
3: It's like sort of mind blowingly. I mean, let's just be, let's just go into the GOP primary contest because it is happening still does it seem like there's any world in which the great hope of the national review crowd the not very charismatic Ron DeSantis, is able to somehow rise from the ashes
7: i think there's certainly a scenario but you know the more we try to figure out what that scenario is like the farther we get from the current reality what i mean by that is like sure i can conjure up a scenario like Trump decides he's not going to run. And
3: that's a 0.00 scenario, let's be honest.
7: For DeSantis, I think, or anybody else to beat Trump, what you'd have to do is effectively have a one on one with him and you would have to tear away some of his base. And I think the only way to tear away some of his base is to prove that you were like a better Trump than Trump. There's a personal following of Donald Trump, right? That like 35 percent of the Republican Party has and they're pretty affixed to him. And it's like unless somebody comes and knocks him down, knocks him off the perch, you know, I don't see them beating him. I don't think it's just a matter of collecting the people who are anti-Trump. I think it's a pretty small percentage of the Republican Party that's actually anti-Trump.
3: Yeah. You know, I want to just get into that for a second, because it does seem to me like really what you're saying is there's another reality television star who's also a Republican, who appeals to the far-right's basest instincts in a way that's charismatic. I mean, there is no person like that.
7: Right, like if Steven Seagal was funny or something, yeah, maybe.
3: Right, and not living in Russia.
7: Right, I mean, there there are impediments to the Steven Seagal presidency, obviously. But your point is the right one, Molly, which is that there's a celebrity (laughs) quality to Donald Trump. It it is all about personality. I mean, not all, all about personality, but. The idea that you're going to come up with some sort of clever way to to contrast with them on policy or, to, you know, on, on demeanor or whatever. I mean, it just it hasn't worked. We've been watching this script play out for eight years.
3: Yeah. And I mean, again, I think the pro- DeSantis larger problem is that Trump is not policy. Trump is that he was famous for 20 years. So everybody knew who he was. And then he, you know, was very charismatic. I mean, you don't beat a charisma candidate by running to the right of him and saying, you know, I want to end birthright citizenship, which he which, again, I don't know where that came from. Um, He you know, you win against a charisma candidate by being more charismatic or being sane and not a complete sociopath.
7: As the case may be. Yeah, I mean, I think the they just looked at the uh, Brian Kemp model in Georgia, where Kemp ran to the right in terms of ideology of David Perdue, who he was running against, and Perdue was a Trump endorsed candidate, and you know, it worked for Kemp to go pretty hard right on policy, and then and collect all the anti-Trump vote. In that primary but the problem was David Perdue wasn't Trump right I mean, you know it's not as applicable
3: also Brian Kemp had support you could say what you want about him he stood up to Trump so like he may be far right but he at least like you know I think a lot of like conservative voters felt like he had protected their democracy
7: I should also say like an operative recently said to me that, you know the, that the, the in a Republican primary is not you know which candidate do you want to have a beer with but which candidate will break a beer bottle over someone else's head.
3: <laughs> That's terrible. Has that always been true? Or is that new?
7: I think there's always been a pretty strong element of that, but more so now. And, you know, a big part of this macho. I'm like, I do think that this matters, you know, in terms of if you are seeking a candidate who you want to defend your positions and fight for your positions and defend your country, looking for the biggest, baddest person out there is not the worst metric necessarily, right? It's one of many, but I think in the Republican Party, the toughest candidate is or the person who's perceived to be the toughest is is often in the best place to win.
3: Okay, I'm gonna do something mean now because we're friends. I'm gonna read you a tweet and you're gonna have to guess what year this is. Oh wow, nearly half of all registered voters say they're not satisfied with the two major presidential candidates and want other choices. Forty seven percent not satisfied. Guess what election? Two
7: thousand twelve.
3: Two thousand and eight. John McCain and Barack Obama.
7: I was going in the right direction. You
3: were. Same story in 2000 with Bush v. Gore. Also, Carter Reagan in 1980.
7: Yeah, but Twitter did not exist for Carter Reagan. (laughs) And really really for Obama and McCain, like, I mean, to the extent that any, I'm not even sure when Twitter started exactly, but to the extent that anyone was on Twitter during the Obama McCain election, you would think that it was basically just a handful of journalists.
3: I'm just saying that it does seem in my mind like that question is, you know, the question of like you're not happy with either candidate feels like everybody feels that way all the time.
7: Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be shocking. Like the two parties are going to spend, you know, a couple billion dollars between the candidates and the parties, a couple billion dollars just destroying each other in campaign ads and mailers, and stuff like that. So, you know, you look at that and you're like, no wonder people are angry about the two parties. It's, it shouldn't be shocking. Like if, if every morning you wake up and you turn on the television, and it's like, you know, this party is going to take your house and your family and your car. Um, and then, you know, shoot you in the street and then you turn on the TV the next morning. It's the other party saying the exact same thing. Eventually you're going to be like, maybe there's another alternative to these two parties.
3: And that alternative is RFK Jr. Just kidding. No, it's not.
7: That was a real shot in the arm. <laughs>
3: We are the worst people. That was a terrible joke. Sorry. And both of us. No, I, I appreciate the hell out of it. So let's talk about everyone's favorite MAGA congresswoman, CrossFit queen, Marjorie Taylor Green. She's hit a bump in the
7: road. For sure. The Freedom Caucus basically wants to get rid of her and most of them <laughs> don't want her anymore. How does that work? Because she's too mainstream. <laughs> She went, like, she buddied out. I mean, the original <laughs> pin was that she threw her support to Kevin McCarthy. And she's been fighting with Lauren Boebert. Um, they had some nasty words with each other on the house floor recently. And
3: the, there was that great moment where... The, the was it Bobert who said that MTG was just that the reason she had called her a nasty little bitch was because she was a nasty little bitch?
7: Yeah, I think that's the way it ran. <laughs>
3: yeah. That's always that's always did you call this person? I did because she is.
7: Well well, I mean, you know, that's a, a Washington apology if I ever heard. <laughs> but it was MTG that called Bobert. So oh, it, it, yeah. So I think I think you asked if it was bobrick that called him. It was
3: no, it's MTJ. Yes.
7: I, I mean, look, I think they have very different profiles in Congress. Number one, Marjorie Taylor Greene's in a pretty safe district and it seems unlikely she's going to lose no matter what she does. Whereas like Lauren Boebert's in a district where she could lose and she's kind of doubling down on extremism. So maybe that will work for her. I would say the conventional wisdom is that it won't. It may be that Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't have to worry about Lauren Boebert for very long.
3: Yeah, but Marjorie Taylor Greene does have to worry about the rest of Freedom Caucus if she gets kiboshed.
7: Yeah, I mean, I guess. I, you know, is, Are they going to stand up a primary challenger to her? Does anybody really believe that she's like not extreme enough? I, You know, I mean... <laughs> I guess.
3: I love how exhausted you sound.
7: I mean, if you ever like saw the movie Mean Girls, like it's like some group sitting at one of those tables that's not the you know, the plastics table, they're like sitting at one of the like outer range tables and then they're like starting to pick on each other. They're like, right, Oh, you're right, not right. you're not cool enough to be in the A V club now. You know, like I mean
3: Right. <laughs> there's a larger Republican congressional problem going on, which is McCarthy has like really kind of law. I mean, he did this thing, which was he kept the federal government from defaulting and crashing the American economy. He's kind of like lost the will of his, his caucus now.
7: I'm not sure that he had it to lose. That is to say we watched <laughs> him go through 15 rounds of voting. That's I mean, right. It's been a long time since there's been anyone in politics at that level that has had such little room to maneuver. Sometimes people make a choice and they decide, you know, to do things that they know will harm them. And you, you could see John Boehner doing that. But I think McCarthy's just simply trying to figure out the best thing he can do to maintain his place. You know, it's like he's he's walking a tightrope and juggling you know, fiery sticks at the same time and there's dinosaurs coming at him and he's just trying <laughs> to stay on that pipe rope. <laughs> and all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, you know, Marjorie Taylor Green and Lauren Bober fighting each other. And, uh, you know, he says awkwardly something about how Trump might not be the best candidate to take on Biden. And then he has to like put that bat back in a box really quickly. And, you know, guys, like he's got no no room to maneuver. But also, let's just say he doesn't have the strongest vertebrae of any congressional leader we've ever seen. So maybe it's helpful as you try to maneuver into tiny spaces.
3: But I want. I just want to go further with this for a minute. Is the problem a lack of spine with McCarthy? Because I would argue there have been other leaders of Congress, I know this is gonna that you're gonna be shocked by this, who themselves did not have deep and real beliefs in the things that they were pushing. Like, I don't know that the problem McCarthy has is a lack of a spine as much as it's a lack of a brain. I mean that in the nicest possible way, obviously.
7: Um, I'm certain that Kevin McCarthy has a brain. Having interacted with Kevin McCarthy before, I can assure you that Kevin McCarthy has a brain.
3: But that there's a sort of golden retriever-like quality to him.
7: I think that Kevin McCarthy, like most congressional leaders, is somebody who wants power more than they have uh, particular adherence to any one policy or even total ideology, right? Like what what they care about is advancing themselves. But I think with McCarthy, it is more transparent and more evident than with most that he's just doing what he has to do to get along. And you almost never see him take a position that is, I don't know, like the difficult one to take. I mean, I guess, I guess, arguably, maybe, you know, not defaulting was difficult to take, but he's he's trying to find the positions he can take that are going to keep him in power. And look, the founders I think designed a system that relied on you know the ambition of individuals. <laughs> like they they understood it, right? They knew that people that were in these jobs, that were members of Congress or whatever, would act in certain ways and try to get reelected and whatnot. And so they they understood uh, the internal politics. And I just you know, McCarthy is again in this just position where you like he can't move.
3: He has no, he doesn't have the
7: numbers. Right. One misstep. And his career was over.
3: Yeah. A heartwarming story. I wanna get into this sort of where Biden is right now. Jesse and I were both saying this before we started recording that that we thought the Biden economics message was good and those graphs from the from the European, the the G seven and they're not all European, obviously, but the G seven countries showed that really the Bidenomics For whatever it's worth, it's actually working.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think there are about zero Americans who are going to vote based on how the U.S. economy is doing at large versus other countries.
3: Right. But I mean, I think it's a meaningful indicator.
7: Sure. I guess what I would say about the Bidenomics message is this. There are strong indicators of a recovering economy, and there are also some indicators that are not where the Biden folks would like them to be. But there's only so much the president can do to control the economy. And if the economy surges back and people feel that it surges back, because of course the perceptions of what's going on to voters are often more important than the reality. If by next November, voters feel like the economy is a good place, Biden's gonna wanna be able to take credit for it. And he's not gonna be able to do that unless he lays the groundwork for for that. So now is when he's laying the groundwork to say, "Here's, here's our economic plan. We believe that it's working now, and we believe it's going to be working more next November. And the thing is, if he's wrong, he's going to lose anyway. Maybe he wins anyway, but if the economy is falling off the cliff a year, you know, a year and a half from now, if we're in re- a deep recession or depression or something, then it do- it doesn't matter what he said today. On the other hand, if it's going well, he wants to be able to take credit for it, so he lays that predicate down.
3: It does seem like you know every time and again. I feel like every time we talk about this economy, when we've talked about this, when we've had a Republican in office, I feel like there's more kind of the president gets credit for the economy than when we have a Democrat in office. And remember, when you see all that polling, people are always saying, oh, Republicans are better on the economy. And that's just sort of like a conventional wisdom baked in. I mean, there's so much evidence. And I always think about this. There's so much evidence. And in fact, like, what did Trump do? He did a huge tax cut. He raised the taxes in the blue states with this making the state and local income tax salt uh, not deductible. So raising our taxes and then because to punish blue states. And then he, uh, you know, he did all these sort of crony capitalist moves. And then we had a pandemic. So, I mean, that obviously Obviously, these things are not related in that way, but like he didn't show any great economic chops. And then you have Biden here who is doing this massive infrastructure spending. So, again, like that does pump up the GDP. So I just wonder, like, why do people who are polled always think Republicans are better on the economy. It's you have thirty seconds to answer this question.
7: If your assertion is the Democrats are better on the on the economy and that people think Republicans are, then that would seem to be a messaging (laughs) disparity between the Republicans and the Democrats.
3: But I mean you think it's just sort of baked in there?
7: I don't think it necessarily is I don't think people felt Republicans were good on the economy in two thousand eight when the economy was like falling through the floor. So, you know, it depends on on the moment, but Republicans talk more about the economy, or at least traditionally have talked more about the economy. The last 30 years or so is a little different, but it's always sort of a core focus on business and the markets are a core focus of Republican politics. So, like, you know, I think the Democrats have to have to make sure that they, you know, from a competitive standpoint, that they talk about that, that issue that is most important to most voters and talk about it in a way that resonates with voters.
3: John Allen... I I hope you're not mad at me. Why
7: would I be mad at you?
3: And that you'll still come back and visit us again. This was really a great conversation. I
7: appreciate you. I'm never mad at you, Molly.
3: Hi, it's Molly. And I am wildly excited that for the first time, Fast Politics, the show you're listening to right now, is going to have merch for sale. Over at shop.fastpoliticspod.com, you can now buy shirts, hats, hoodies, and tote bags with our incredible designs. We've heard your cries to spread the word about our podcast and get a tote bag with my adorable Leo, the rescue puppy, on it. And now you can grab this merchandise only at shop.fastpoliticspod.com. Thanks for your support. Emily Atkin is the author of the climate newsletter, Heated. Welcome to Fast Politics, Emily. Oh, it's so great to be back. I was just talking to my husband and he was saying like, maybe we should go for a walk. And then he's like, there's an air quality alert out. This is like the first summer where like you can't walk because of the air.
8: It's bad. I think that people are starting to kind of see how this is connected to climate change and starting to realize like, oh, I don't think I like I really? It my life. Yeah, I really do.
3: I'm excited if that's true. I'm a little worried that they're not putting it together. We did have orange smoke. You know, there was one day where we got up to like almost 500 on the U.S. AQI, which is like, isn't 500 when
8: you start like getting
3: really sick and dying?
8: Yeah, that's like the worst air quality. You're running up on some of the worst air quality in the world that can trigger a stroke. It could trigger a heart attack in people with cardiovascular problems. It could... Triggering an asthma attack. Yeah, that's a level that you really don't want to be outside, particularly if you have any pre-existing conditions, but also just generally.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was pretty scary. I mean, so what's happening right now is that there are wildfires in Canada. Can you just talk a little bit about what exactly is happening and how this is sort of playing out?
8: Yeah, I mean, from a climate change perspective and from just a weather perspective, wildfires are it's normal that wildfires would happen. And it's normal that the smoke would travel from the place that the wildfire is to a different place. Right. <laughs> that's that's a normal thing <laughs> that would happen. Yeah. You know, wind fires. It, it's all good. The problem right now is that we're seeing these massive wildfires and it's not really wildfire season. It, it technically is, but it's right at the start. And the amount of acres that are burning from these wildfires, unlike anything that people have ever seen, particularly for this region in Canada, that they're burning. So that is very consistent with predictions from climate scientists that say, you know, the more carbon we emit into the atmosphere, the hotter the average world temperature gets, the drier dry places get. One of the funny things about climate change, it's not funny, it's just... Complicated, but it's that drier places get drier and wetter places get wetter. It just makes everything a bit more extreme. And so when people ask me, how do you know if this event was because of climate change or influenced by climate change? The answer is that every single weather event that we live through is affected by climate change because we live in a climate that has already changed. And these fires that we're seeing are very consistent with predictions that wildfires burn stronger, burn longer. And that translates to air quality alerts in places that the fires aren't even happening.
3: It does seem like that is pretty unbelievable. Like the change I've seen in my lifetime, and I'm 44, so I could probably be your mother. But if I had you when I was 14, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. (laughs) But what I've seen is that there's like, uh, there's also like no snow. Like We haven't had snow.
8: I was actually just at this Climate Summit, where there was this awesome presentation of climate data. The name of the organization doing this is eluding me, so I apologize to them in advance, but it was this awesome presentation of what the country looked like 40 years ago versus now in terms of the warming that's already happened. They zoomed in on Maine, for instance, these towns in Maine, and they could tell you what the average snow season looked like 40 years ago and what it looks like now and how that corresponds with the 1.1, 1.2 degrees Celsius of warming that has happened over time, right? right. Because the world is already warming a certain amount. So like what you're seeing over the last 40 years of your lives is backed up by the data. Like you can look at a map and see that this thing that you feel that you're getting less snow, that it's not as cold. It, it It is happening and it is consistent with these predictions. As horrifying as that is, it is at the same time, the way I look at it, kind of nice to know that like, OK, we can sort of we can trust these predictions are correct. And so therefore, we can trust the science that says, here's what you need to do to have it not get worse. So let's
3: talk for a minute about what that science looks like. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of anxiety about carbon capture. There, are, There's a lot out there that sounds like bullshit. So talk to us about what is bullshit and what is real.
8: The most important thing that you need to know about what is bullshit is anyone that tries to make the claim that we can continue to extract and burn fossil fuels at the current rate and not reach a level of climate catastrophe that makes a large chunk of the planet unlivable for millions of people.
3: And by the way, I think what's important when you say that is we're not talking about like just climate crisis in one country. If people are dying of heat stroke in the UAE, that is echoing out everywhere else, too. Well,
8: yeah, I mean, climate change is so complex, right? That there are many different ways that the planet or an ecosystem can become unlivable in, let's say, a three C world, a world that has warmed on average three degrees Celsius since the pre-industrial era. Like, yeah, there are going to be areas of India that regularly become too hot for the human body to actually live in. That's going to spur refugee crises we're going to have a lot of people moving There's going to be sea level rise that is going to make some places also unlivable pretty easy stuff to, to visualize there there's also going to be more wildfires that bring more smoke into cities that makes it unlivable for people with asthma or people with babies or old people right Storms, hurricanes, things like that. And then there's just all of these social effects that come with those things. Right. Maybe you can actually live in the place with a lot of smoke, but there's not enough hospital capacity or something like that, or you can't get to work because you work outside. Right. It's livability is not just about your health and about whether you die. It's about also the quality of life and the way you live your life. So there is no, unfortunately, there is no credible science that shows that we can limit these effects without transitioning away from fossil fuels. The fossil fuel industry and a lot of conservatives in particular will try to tell you that just by switching to natural gas or just by installing carbon capture, we can avoid a lot of these emissions and keep using fossil fuels. The only thing that they don't offer there is evidence to show that that will work. And they, the reason they don't offer it is because it doesn't exist. It's just a lot of buzzwords that sound really cool. Carbon capture is not a feasible technology at scale. Natural gas is a fossil fuel that's made of methane, right, right, which right. is like a hugely polluted greenhouse gas. That is the most harmful bullshit that is out there right now, for sure.
3: There was some weird Elon Musk climate change stuff where he was saying crazy stuff about climate change and how I wasn't quite following, but isn't that a little scary that that guy who made all his money on
8: an EV is uh, doesn't believe in climate change? It's wild because he is very much cited as this savior for climate change because he's developed EVs at Tesla. First of all, like simply developing EVs doesn't help that much. You actually have to reduce the number of cars on the road. That's also been pretty clearly laid out in the scientific literature that like just merely switching to EVs, switching all the gas powered cars to EVs is not going to help. You have to you have to make it so that people drive less and that there are actually less cars on the road. And Elon does not want to do that. It's just so interesting. He's got this really weird view of climate change I've been looking into recently where he acknowledges the role of fossil fuels, but doesn't think that farming contributes to climate change, which is wild because it does. Right. Obviously. I really don't know what's going on with him. The latest thing that he was in the news climate wise for was that he responded to this New York Post story about. oh the coal pizza ovens. Yeah. Which you wrote brilliantly about. Thank you. Yeah. He was like, these won't do anything to fight climate change. They're bullshit. And. It made so much news and it was so wild because it was like these rules for pizza ovens have nothing to do with climate change. So unfortunately, I would say like the thing that's so wild about him is that he's just so vulnerable to misinformation now because that's like who he's decided he is. Yeah,
3: no, no. I mean, quite interesting to watch him just flail around. So it's basically fire season now, even though it used to only be fire season in California, I guess now it's fire season in in New York, too, right?
8: Well, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't normally see a lot of wildfire in New York. But unfortunately, that's another effect of climate change is that the drier it gets, the more areas are vulnerable to wildfires. So, yeah, I mean, wildfire season normally like wildfire and hurricane season, like while the West is getting messed up by wildfire season, the East is getting messed up by uh, hurricane season they kind of intersect they're like at the same time summer to fall and now we're seeing that that's still happening but both coasts are also getting the threat of the other coasts problem too. We see very clearly now that the East Coast is starting to feel the effects of wildfire season because wildfire season is expanding and now even the we- even the west coast, Gets hurricane threats now. They haven't seen, you know, a big storm in the way the East Coast has gotten yet. But it's it's coming. It's coming. It's it's wild. It's not great. Can you explain
3: to us what this warmer El Nino means? Basically, the the ocean in the Atlantic is as warm as it's ever been.
8: Right. You'll have these anomaly years. Right. I don't think that the meteorology of it is necessarily as useful for us to explain and understand as the effect of it is that when it's an El Nino year, everything is magnified in terms of heat. So anything, any you probably an El Nino year is when you're probably going to see the hottest temperatures on average in a long time. It's probably when you're going to see more heat waves and then also extreme weather like hurricanes because warm water, warm ocean water fuels storms. This is like
3: unprecedented how warm the Atlantic is right now,
8: right? Right. Because it's an El Nino. It's like we were talking about earlier. The climate has already changed. So this will be the hottest El Nino ever. And El Nino is normal. That was always going to happen. But in the world that it now exists is a hotter world. So it's going to be the hottest El Nino.
3: That does not seem good.
8: None of it is good, I think the question really is, like, what are we going to do now that we know about this, now that we see it? Are we going to stop denying that it's happening? And are we going to take some necessary steps to ensure that every single El Nino now in the future is not the hottest El Nino that's ever been? Right. Do you have anything hopeful you want to tell us? Yeah, I do, actually. Which is that I think there's this general idea that it's kind of too late to do anything about this, which just isn't true. I mean, it's very clear that it's not true. And every single piece of action that anyone does to help, even if you can't like see the effect on the atmosphere, it does help. Because even if it doesn't change emissions, the things that we do help change culture. One of the things that I write about a lot in my newsletter is that climate change is not just an emissions problem. It is a society and cultural problem. It's about what we value and changing the things that we value because we won't do what's necessary to solve climate change until we change the things we value. So even like posting online and making podcasts about stuff like this and trying to like envision a different world and an economy and a world is not based on extraction and that's, you know, based on, Uh, reciprocity with each other and with nature. It's that kind of messaging is actually really important. And there are so many movements. I think what's so great about the climate change activism community, which is so broad, by the way, is that if there's one thing they know how to do, it is create community. And I think that there is a joy of working on something that you really care about with other people I think we tend to have this capitalism driven need to not do anything unless we know that it will have, you know, an impact. It's like, oh, I'm not going to do a hobby unless I'm going to be the best editor, unless I'm going to monetize it and not just doing things because they make us feel good and we get to be with people and <laughs> and, you know, and and enjoy ourselves. I feel the same way about climate activism and climate writing and, and anything based on ecological solutions is that like. If you go into it with the idea that you don't want to do it unless you can save the world, then you're never going to experience any joy out of it. The point should be to experience joy out of it and to make yourself feel better. And the more you do that, like the more progress is going to be made.
3: Oh, very interesting. Is there anything else that you feel like is important that we should be talking about when it comes to climate?
8: So many things. My reporter, Ariel is currently working on a story about how renewable energy in Texas is actually saving the electric grid from shutting down during their extreme heat. Oh, wow. That's a really good climate story. And it's funny because you'll see still from Texas Governor Abbott and other politicians, you know, they'll still say that solar and wind energy are unreliable. We can't rely on them to power the grid. But the reality is right now that as the grid is overheating in Texas because of climate-fueled extreme heat, the natural gas plants that are shutting down. It's the nuclear facilities that are shutting down, the ones that depend on thermal regulated heat. The only reason the grid is up and still working and people have their air conditioner right now is because Texas also has a ton of solar and wind. So we're seeing the positive news play out before our eyes like these renewable energy sources are really working. And so it's really important, I think, for people to know that and to be armed with that information. Right.
3: On that note, thank you so much, Emily. I hope you will come back.
8: I hope you'll have me back. It's always great to be here. And thank you for covering this.
7: And now your moment of fuckery.
3: Jesse Cannon.
0: Molly Jung Fast. You know, that Kevin McCarthy doesn't have a lot of good qualities. And one of them is definitely not his backbone.
3: I was really impressed today with how much stupid Kevin McCarthy is managing to involve himself in. But today (laughs) he said that maybe Trump wasn't the best candidate. You will remember Trump as having been impeached twice, indicted twice and having led the January 6th armed insurrection at the Capitol. Kevin McCarthy suggested that perhaps that person was not the best GOP presidential candidate. Well, I'm gonna fast forward and tell you, unsurprisingly, he has now apologized for that terrible misleading of the American people. And he and his incredible stupidity is once again, our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening.
1: Fox Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Fox Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture.